0: What's up, DGC? I got a special treat today. I actually brought my buddy, Mike, uh, works at Royal Gold. First off, what's up, Mike?
1: How's it going, Scott?
0: Good. It's going good. I brought him in because uh, we met at the Indo Indo Expo, but actually it was the Emerald Cup. And I wanted to kind of get, you're actually from Northern California, right?
1: Yeah, I've been living up in Humboldt about 18 years.
0: Yeah, so I was really surprised at the scene up there. It was very natural, very outside the hydro store. And I was hoping we could just bullshit about it. Uh, you're a friend of the show. You're a supporter of the show, Royal Gold is. I appreciate the hell out of that, man. And uh, as a matter of fact, I was pretty comfortable with it because a bunch of my friends, a bunch of my friends that run commercial operations, uh, buy your shit by the pallet, you know, mostly it's the Tuper that they dig. But But we'll we'll get into how to build the soil and what good soils are later. But man, would you just help me understand this Humboldt scene? It's So earthy. It's so what it should be, I think.
1: I've been coming here for a few years before I actually moved here. It's just I've traveled the country over and there's no place like it. The people that moved here and kind of set up the population in the 60s and 70s, the back to the earthers, the hippies. commingling with the logging industry and the fishing industry and the people who are very earth-driven in that side of things, um, you know, connected to create this really unique walk of life where people are focused on community, people are focused on, you know, supporting each other, they're focused on freedom and growing their own food and self-sufficiency, and it's just a really amazing thing to be a part of, and that naturally of course, leads into cannabis because it's so equated with those same things.
0: Yeah, you're right. It's a totally different scene. It's the cannabis isn't seen as money up there so much. I understand that folks for decades have been, you know, making a living by, you know, whatever with like emerald triangle and all that stuff. But uh, it's seen as medicine. It's seen as as an herb that you grow. And like, when I was at the Emerald Cup it was the only place where you just give away weed. People would be like, here, here's a big bud. Take it. You know, they didn't even have to have a reason because it was just like the herb of the earth. There was like a celebration of that. It was a very different vibe.
1: It's amazing. You know, you come down there with a giant jar and you leave with two. And it's (laughs) one of those places where everybody is so proud to connect with the same, with people from the same walk of life and, you know, show off what they do and also learn from their neighbor. And, you know, everybody's very kind of stuck on their hill in the growing season. You're so dedicated to the crop and dedicated to your property and getting through day-to-day life and fighting the battles that being a farmer brings. And this is just such an amazing opportunity at Emerald Cup where people come out, get together, there's entertainment, there's business to be done so you can, you know, treat it as a business trip, but you're also entertaining yourself. You're running into people you haven't seen in two, five, 10, 20 years. And you're sharing in... The changes that have affected this industry. And you're seeing how what was once very uniquely Humboldt and then started to be more uniquely all over California and is now all over the place. And, you know, we're still a source of inspiration. People come here to learn. They come here to check out what people have been doing forever. But at Emerald Cup, it's an amalgamation of people who have Never smoked cannabis before in their life and they are curious. And people have been smoking cannabis for 60 years, and you know, it's their life. So yeah. it's really just a cool thing.
0: Yeah, it is. And what's cool about it is it's not somebody going from product to product and being like, hey, can I buy into being a good gardener if I use this bottle? It'll it'll make me a good gardener if I use this one. If I put them all together, I'll be great. And it's not like that. You walk around and you go, God damn, this is good weed. Like, what'd you grow this with? And I gets just my own compost, bro. You know, good soil and yeah. my own compost. And I'll be like, okay, sunshine. It's impressive. It's such a different vibe, and there's such quality weed that comes from, you know, completely different philosophy and way of growing.
1: Yeah, and the cool thing from our standpoint as a soil company is, you know, we're across the aisle from another soil company, from another fertilizer company up the sure. row, and we're all in this together and all of these products out there in the marketplace, they don't work, you know, some better than others. Um, but really what we find is what separates us is what works for one person might not work for another person. And the goal of our products is to find something that works for as many people and as many situations as possible. Right. And, everyone has to kind of uniquely analyze their own situation but we've tried to create products that are flexible, functional and give the grower the tools to express their own identity through their cultivation practices whether they're you know organics permaculture brewing their own teas, composting their own waste, sure, got farmers sure. that are feeding exclusively their own leaf ferments from the crop so they're Fertilizing their soil, amending their soil before the season, and then all season long, all they do is harvest their leaves and go through a, pr- a process of fermenting, composting, and extracting it into a tea and feeding back the nutrients that the plant's releasing. And it's just everything from hydroponics to closed loop cannabis systems. It's just such an amazing array of experiences.
0: Yeah, there's, a, okay, so I do want to get into that because you're talking about different feeding styles, different grow styles, and I know there's people, I like to feed as much as I can, man. You know, I'm an yeah. I'm, I'm old school hydro grower that's now using cocoa, that loves cocoa. Um, there's folks that just want to build, you know, that, that what, enrich soils where you're, you know, if you don't know what you're doing, you can open the bag, shove a clone in there, and you get yourself three weeks to a month out of it. So there's all sorts of, 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 you know, philosophies and products out there. But you mind if we go through, since you're my, my soil guy, you mind if I uh, ask you a few questions? Fire away, man. Anything I can answer, I will. All right, so cocoa, just let's even start with basis. You got cocoa and peat, all right? And so you've got, as as far as your cocoa, it's like your cocoa loco, right?
1: Um, yeah, you know, you got cocoa and you have peat is the basis of most soils. You're 100% correct. They're right. both, you know, kind of spongy, soft organic matter that's going to essentially act as an inert medium, just like you're talking about in hydroponics, you know, neither of those are actually providing the nutrition for your plant. They're sure. really more of a medium and they're providing a vehicle for you to provide the other food right. and other components, whether it be through, you know, three part feeding as much as you can, which is why people love our tuper or, Mixing in all these organic components and letting the biology do the work. So, you know, there there's big differences between cocoa and peat. Right. That peat is mostly cellulose-based. It's a mined product where you're stripping it out of wetlands. And cocoa is a waste product from an existing industry. You know, coconuts are falling to the ground every day. They're right. being used in textiles, and that pith short fiber doesn't have another function it's not being used for a ton of other products. And before it took hold as a grow medium, it was piling up on the sides of the roads, being dumped in oceans, being burned. It was just kind of this, you know, (laughs) this product from a giant industry. So as we've honed the ability to buffer it, it's kind of really taken off. And the beauty of it is it's a lignin based fiber, not a cellulose based fiber. So it's stronger, it's more resilient, it lasts longer in its existing form. It doesn't start breaking down. And it's also hydrophilic, it wants to take water in as opposed to hydrophobic when dry, like peat is where it wants to repel water. I mean, anybody who's ever grown in peat has had the pot shrink up, the soil shrink up inside the pot, sure. the water run off the sides and out the holes or through the fabric and create a giant mess. And you're like, oh no, and then the soil's still dry. So you gotta keep watering it and getting it to suck it up. And then once it's moistened, it takes it in a little better. But that's not the same with cocoa. It's gonna accept that water a lot more willingly, wick it throughout the medium a lot more willingly, and right. just provide a much more even distribution and ease of release of the water to the plant.
0: So I'm a huge cocoa fan too. It sounds like you are as well. So why is yeah. pete so popular? Why is every why am I seeing pallets of tuper when I go down to LA?
1: Again, I think it ties into working for more people in more situations. Um, like you said, I like to feed aggressively. I want to be able to pump that plant. You got, what, eight to ten weeks typically in your life cycle or your flowering cycle. Oh yeah, And you've only got so many opportunities to get it to eat. So with the Tuber, you get the benefit of the cocoa, but it's also aerated aggressively with perlite. And our unique composted forest product, which is um, composted redwood through a product that's proprietary to us. And it's really cool the way that functions in the mix because it helps create airspace. And so water flows through really nicely. It holds a really nice balance of oxygen, air, and water at the same time. So it allows you to feed more often and more aggressively. So you know, you're talking about wanting to feed a lot. You're using cocoa, even just in straight cocoa. You're going to water once every day, two, depending sure. on your pot size and sure. plant size. But with the tuper, we see people watering up to six times a day through drip systems, uh, three, four plus times a day through ebb and flow systems, um, and it just gives you that opportunity to keep that aggressive nutrient cycling happening. So you feel like your plant's just eating, 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 and also by maintaining that balance of oxygen and water at an ideal rate, the plant can
0: consume as it wants to more aggressively. Right. Right. And you know what I do find with cocoa? It's a little bit, uh, a lot bit more forgiving for over watering. It's able able to just hold that oxygen.
2: Yeah.
1: No question. That's something that I was a peat grower, organic grower for years and years and years before I kind of discovered cocoa. and started learning about it and was like, wow, this is really cool. And at the time, there was very little cocoa on the market. You could buy all these blocks and, you know, a few bagged cocos, you know, mainly canna. But the buffering was always questionable, especially on the blocks. There were salts involved. It wasn't cleaned properly. Right. It wasn't something I understood at the time why when I use this cocoa that I loved a lot of the property so much, but my plants were yellowing or I wasn't able to feed quite the way I wanted to feed. And you know, why, why is this nutrient mix correct? But my plant doesn't seem to be eating it right. And that's when you started learning, Oh, sodium chlorides in there. It's just a natural component and it's going to interfere with the nutrients that you're trying to give it being taken up properly.
0: Yeah. I mean, we just had that where uh, a buddy of ours, the dude, I just had his uh water softener put a bunch of salts in there, and it's you know of course it screws up the plants, man absolutely, but all right, dude yes. I got the I've been trying to learn this for years what is buffer what you know buffering how do you buffer cocoa what makes a good buffered cocoa you know help me evaluate it why don't I want to buy that shitty block or that that compressed brick that looks like Mexican reg uh, at the store
1: <laughs> right um well, aside from the fact that it looks like mexican (laughs) reg you know you you have a tremendous ability of cation exchange with cocoa but the the same properties that make it so awesome can make it not so awesome when it's holding on to the wrong components so you know those sites that you want to have occupied with calcium and other nutrients to provide to the plant are typically naturally occupied by sodium chloride and potassium which is a, a plant nutrient and you know so some people kind of misunderstand how that role plays but um the point is to remove those things that are blocking those sites okay. get the calcium on the site and then it's going to exchange nutrients more effectively calcium is kind of like the gatekeeper of the cell right it allows right. the nutrients to come and go yep. and when it's occupied correctly by calcium and magnesium that site is just so much more functional okay. it's going to the medium to grab nutrient and release it to the plant effectively, which is part of this whole feeding regimen and aggressive feeding concept. It's like you have to have a really aggressive super highway for transfer, right? Because otherwise, you're just dumping nutrients, it's running out and it's going away, and you're wasting hard earned money on expensive plant nutrients, and it's not doing you the good you want it to do. So, getting that buffer, replacing those sodium chloride and potassiums with a proper balance of calcium and magnesium allows the medium to do what it
0: wants to do. Right. And yeah, this is, thank you. This is actually making sense for the, for uh, <laughs> I will say in my head, but, and by the way, that potassium in there, there's a reason you just remove that uh, just so you have a, a known constant that you can start from scratch and actually uh, fertilize according to a recipe.
1: Well, and. Uh- it's occupying the same sites that your calcium wants to. Exactly. So if you have this super high level of potassium that's kind of natural in cocoa, sure, um, it can occupy that site, and it's a slower moving nutrient, right? That's not as aggressively consumed, especially during veg, right? So to replace it and get that calcium there, you're going to still have plenty of mobility for potassium that you're providing in your liquids and your food, right? But you're not running into it, kind of blocking the way running as a linebacker to stop everything from getting through that you want to get through that kind of makes sense it's an interesting description but that's how it makes sense to me
0: mike thank you my friend i got it i got it i think i awesome. can even explain it to someone <laughs> hey do you mind if we uh, debunk some i don't know if they're myths or not but uh, uh, first off, did you guys see there's a whole bunch of controversy right now to flush or not to flush? There's a peer-reviewed paper that just came out that is saying flushing is kind of irrelevant. You got you got any uh, any best practices on flushing? I'm sure you must have to get a bunch of questions about it, no? We
1: get a ton of questions about it. And, you know, I think it's a, a rightfully so heated debate because – I don't know. You guys are pretty experienced up there. You guys smoke plenty of fantastic cannabis yeah. from all over the world. And how often do you have cannabis that burns to a nice clean white ash? And the person's like, yeah, I flushed for two and a half weeks. And then you run into something that's charcoaly and hard and doesn't burn clean. it's a little harsher that people are like, oh, I fed with, you know, salt-based nutrients until the day I harvested. And so there's like – there's evidence – out there that shows that this is working but then i'm reading and seeing some of the same peer-reviewed work it's right. really interesting saying it's not doing anything
0: <laughs> yeah I, but, I do wonder what they're considering that what they consider flushing so i might actually have to read that as opposed to just the tweet the 240 characters maybe i will actually right. read.
1: <laughs> yeah and, you know i think a lot of people get flushing wrong and don't understand what they're trying to do with the flushing and if right. people are just pumping pure water and it's not really doing the same thing as if you say flush with a cow mag that's helping to grab the rest of those nutrients and pull them out and still yep. providing a small enough amount of nutrition that your plant's still eating and living and processing what's left in the plant and breaking down those nutrients and you know finalizing those photosynthetic processes and kind of doing its natural fade like, right You see in like really great organic gardens, there's plenty of nutrient left in the soil that the plant is naturally fading and just eating less on its own. And, you know, there's a lot of debate there. I I personally recommend flushing. I think it's important, especially if you're using salt-based nutrients and 0-50-30s and some of these heavier, more aggressive uh, flower hardeners. You want to try and get some of that stuff to let loose at the root level let your plant have time to break it down and it just gives you a cleaner product in the end
0: yeah and at the end what you said about the cation exchange and the flushing agents uh it is important to use the flushing agent or just to use what you said a cow mag will work just fine you know they sell all these super expensive flushing agents in in the grocery stores
1: yes some of them pull salts more effectively a lot of people just run with cow mag because it's also pulling nutrient away um i think it really depends on what you fed with and what you Expect to be built up in your soil. Right. Um, what the best product for you is, whether it's drip clean or Clearx or you know just straight Calmag, where you're using like more enzymes and things like that to help break down more of the organic right nutrient yeah. side. Um, but you know it's really interesting to me as you know I don't know how familiar you are familiar you are with the Blue Lab um, pulse meters. Sure. It's a really cool. Um, soil probe that gives you the ec of your soil and you know we've been working with some really large-scale farms and using it in our r&d and cross-checking it against lab data and it's pretty cool unit but what it's been useful for me to see and with a farm we're working with is how effective your flush is and how fast right so particular farm that i'm talking about uses cutting edge nutrients um, they're constantly using this pulse meter to check their nutrient level in their soil. Right. And, you know, fully automated fertigation system that's constantly monitoring the nutrient content of the liquids going in. They're watering several times a day. And they're watching when they switch from food to water with CalMag, they're right. watching the parts per million or the EC in their soil drop basically overnight. And it's going down to next to nothing within two or three days. And so that next week that they're still flushing or 10 days, if they're given a two week flush, sure. that plant is relying on all that it has stored, all the sugars, all the nutrients in the leaves yep. to provide anything it needs. So you see that really beautiful natural fade where, you know, it's a a positive deficiency, you know, where the plant's just slowing down and it's, consuming the nitrogen that it has left in the big leaves, letting those shrivel and drop, and you're ending up with some of the most amazing product. Um, personally, they had the best flower that I saw at the Emerald Cup this year, which is a pretty strong statement. You know, they they had some amazing Sunset Sherbert. It's uh, Rainmaker Farms and Smooth Cannabis. They're doing amazing work. And, you know, that's just one method that they use in, you know, they've got multiple sites and multiple ways of going about things. But this one method was is just producing fantastic cannabis. And yep. it's really cool that they focus on the flush, make sure that it's clean in the soil and make sure that the plant has a chance to use what's left. And I'd be hard pressed to tell it smoking a J next to something that's, you know, permaculture, organic water only. Right.
0: Wow, yeah, I I agree with, or I I can understand that because my partner, the dude, grew the best. I guess he probably still does, just up in BC now. But the absolute best cannabis, so much flavor to it, and I would always ask him what his secret was. Had very similar growth styles, but the flush, he would flush. So, yeah, I I, I disagree with the scientists that probably haven't smoked any weed.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's it's very subjective.
0: Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We got the DGC discussing it. But I, I appreciate your scientific, uh, man, you know all about the, uh, the science of what's happening, the buffering. I really appreciate it. So I, a lot of these things have been mysterious to me for a while.
1: And it was mysterious to all of us. It was a mystery to me. And when I started, like I said, working with Coco, I was like so enthused by it and learned that there's this company here in town that was just starting to produce cocoa fiber and cocoa fiber based soils right and i was like i need to talk to these guys so i went in and started working with them and doing uh research and development running the test gardens um doing some of the um processing and manufacturing of some of the liquid nutrients, separating hemic and fulvic acids. And it was all a learning experience, right? I had very little background in that other than, you know, studying some plant and soil science to, um, at a college level to get, to get through high school even. So it was really an interesting thing for me to be a part of. And I just believed in it so strongly. It really kind of took my focus from the cannabis world into the soil world. And it's just been a great process.
0: Yeah. I I couldn't believe that they were using cocoa. I have a 20 acre bamboo nursery down in Florida and I was buying peat based soils. And, uh, the guy came up and said, you want to use cocoa core. Mm -hmm. And I tried 35% cocoa core, unbelievable performance, man. And I've been just up, up in it ever since. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm sold on cocoa from the start man. In every business. That's really cool
1: that you say that, that, you know, a lot of our products aren't available up in Canada where dude's at um, because we have forest product. They don't allow forest product to be imported into Canada. Smart move, but you know, it's, it's hard for business for us up there, but we recommend exactly that. Like, Hey, you're using some sort of peat medium, whether it's sunshine or pro mix, right? Or whatever it may be. Hey man, just try and mix one bag per bale of our cocoa into what you're doing and see the difference, get a feel for how it changes the peat medium. And I'm sure you saw it as well. All of a sudden you don't have that hard panning and the water running off so bad. It still happens, but not like it was. And it really pulls people in. You're like, wow, that's cool. I'm going to do 50% next time. Yep. Yep. Uh, Now I'm at 60%. Now I'm, Screw this stuff. I'm just going 100% cocoa.
0: Man, the sustainability of it too. As long as you drink enough coconut water, man, you should be fine, right?
1: Oh, yeah, man. We're feeding our <laughs> industry.
0: You know what I like about cocoa indoors, though, is I find I can reuse it or I find that I can use it for a, a longer time than the peat. I feel like the peat just compacts. And, uh, you know, we all know that the soil, we need water in there. Uh, we need a base for our microbes and to live, but we need air. It's so important for air to be in a, a high performance soil. So I find what happens is the soil starts compressing and losing its, its, its air, porosity, whatever you want to call it.
1: Yes, so true. And that ties back to what we were kind of talking about earlier, which is the difference between lignin and cellulose. And, you know, cellulose is a smaller molecule and bacteria, soil microbes can chew through it really aggressively and it starts to break down. It's decomposing. I mean, that's kind of a process of all of these things is your medium is decomposing and releasing nutrients right. and exchanging with the plant, and so it's a natural process. And the cellulose just breaks down relatively quickly. Ce-
0: cellulose is peat. Do I have that right? Yeah, correct. Okay. And most
1: like most wood fibers um, are cellulose based. You know, when you look at different wood, they have different levels of cellulose versus lignin. Right. Um, cocoa is mostly lignin. So it's a larger molecule. Okay. The microbes have a harder time chewing through it. It really requires fungus to break it down more effectively. Well, fungus helps build structure in the soil as opposed to breaking down and shrinking, right? Good. It helps build solid mass and, you know, that holds water and lets air in and sure, all the that. The and it also moves nutrients really effectively especially your potassium and phosphorus so that's really cool that this natural thing that's providing the air providing the loft lasting longer feeds into another process that builds loft helps maintain the balance of air and water gives you a better microbial balance like it's really easy to get super great bacteria numbers and that's really important but it's harder to get really good Um, fungus numbers. And you see that the more you can build the fungus, the more balance you get between nutrient cycling. So not only is it providing that benefit, but it's doing like you said, it's providing longer term structure. It's not breaking down as quickly. It's not turning to silt and sediment and washing out the holes of your pot. It's staying solid, which is really cool.
0: Yeah, as as you're talking, I'm just sitting here going, "Why am I surprised?" The coconut is the world's largest seed. You're basically taking the husk from the seed, which is meant for growth. I, I just, uh, it just makes so much sense that that should uh, be a great growth medium.
1: And it really does. And it's cool that you say that because personally, to me, a big part of this whole process has been like, "Wow, this this is cool. It works. Wait, why does it work?" And all of these things we're learning, we're like, oh, it works because of that. Right. Oh, Wow. It's a high lignin fiber. Oh, that makes sense. Why does the fungus grow so well in this cocoa medium? Oh, because fungus likes lignin. It Just all of these kind of what comes first, the chicken or the egg thing. Well, it came first because it was working great for growing cannabis.
0: Sure. No, it came and, first because it was working great for growing coconuts.
1: Right. Exactly. <laughs> and building islands and like you know, we all love islands. Yeah. Cannabis. Hopefully you get to go to some islands. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's, it's really cool to me the way that that all works and pans together. And I'm learning something new every day. We just added a really cool, um, guy to our team. Who's a, uh, certified soil scientist. He's a professor at Humboldt state university. Um, and he's just really opened my eyes to a lot of concepts that I had just the tiniest, little base of knowledge for and he's got so much of a greater understanding and it's really opening my eyes to a lot of the reasons why this is such a cool product
0: yeah i tell you what you have him i don't i don't know if i could uh understand a soil t- scientist directly so you have him explain it he have him explain it to you and then you explain it to me how about that I'll, I'll keep trying because <laughs> you're good at it bro you're good at it and, I,
1: I don't understand it as much as those people so i gotta simplify it in my mind to, to kind of get a hold of it and i can spit out that simplified version pretty easy
0: that's right where i'm at man that's right where i'm at hey, do you sure. mind one more thing i want to ask because it drives me nuts to see people uh just to go you know on prohibition land i would see dumpsters filled with contractor bags filled with five gallons a uh, five gallon rooted you know the uh, soil that they used once you know basically five gallon buckets do we have to throw our soil out after every cycle?
1: You know, it's also very subjective. Um, It depends on what you're feeding and it depends on your situation. Okay. I personally love the opportunity to reuse it. But, you know, you do have variables, pathogens, pests, things like that that pop up, in which case, when you have an issue, yeah, get rid of that stuff. Start over, get fresh. But, if you're not having issues and you're not using, you know, compounds that are gonna linger a long time and be tough to flush away, like right. zero fifty-thirties and things like that, <laughs> that are gonna build your potassium and phosphorus levels up so high that it'll will affect your vegging. And by the growth. way, zero
0: fifty thirties named bloom boosters. So be careful about yeah. those bloom boosters.
1: Bloom boosters and flower hardeners, however, whatever you want to call it. Right. Uh, I think they perform a great function, but you don't really want to reuse your soil if you're using an aggressive, you know, amount of potassium phosphate sort of product. Got it. Um, But I encourage people to reuse it if they're growing in a way that's conducive, reuse it, replace, you know, about what you're losing when you rip out your root ball, right? About 30%. So you're keeping a consistent, fresh input. So, you know, even with the lignin-rich soils, it's breaking down some each crop. So you, by continuing to add each time, you're adding fresh organic matter. It's like adding fresh to your compost to keep it rolling. Yep. Um, it's an important part of it. But you can reuse two, three, four. We've got customers who use up to 10, 12 times. I was at an amazing farm out in the hills um, of Southern Humboldt last couple of years, and he showed me these beds. He's like, this Mendo mix? It's 11 years old. This is your first bulk year. The first year you were selling bulk soils, we were buying this from you guys. And we continue to add stuff every year. Sure, And it didn't look anything like when, you know, if you were to open a bag of our soil today, it doesn't look anything like
0: it. I'm sure. There's probably so much organic matter in there at that point.
1: Yeah, it's breaking down. The perlite's broken down into more of a sandy thing, but it still functions impeccably. He's got great biology going and he just continues to add year after year. And, you know, he's taken a full two by six off of the sides of the bed because it's just shrunken down so much over those 12 years. Wow! He's like, I'm still getting just as good a growth as I was
2: then.
0: I mean, yeah, that's why I brought it up. (laughs) It does drive me crazy when people think that uh, throwing out their soil and, and, and get new stuff every single time. And I know you have a soil company, but I know you're doing the right thing and you're a friend of the show. You want us to to get value. I mean, the best thing is to get maximum value out of the product that you sell. And God damn, if you can use it a few times or just like your friends using it 10 times or just using it as a base and adding to it i agree with you as long as you're not doing anything too crazy to it and as long as you don't have pests you know you got something like fungus gnats i know they're not that hard to, to get rid of but it might be just better to get some new soil or something like that thinking that that's might the be one the case
1: that's the one past i'm like well if you can't kill fungus
0: gnats maybe you should be looking at another
1: career <laughs> but you got a point there <laughs> but you know root aphids and we don't All these say other that word. pathogens oh, and things that are coming up. Now there's hemp aphids because hemp's come sure. back and resurface. You're seeing a <clears throat> resurgence of new pests. And if you've got a pest that you don't know how to handle, yeah, get rid of it and start clean and try and Makes sense. work with an IPM that keeps it from coming back.
0: Yep. Yep. It's
1: Way easier to prevent something than it is to stop it or get rid of it.
0: Brother, I agree. You got good knowledge, man. Appreciate you, man. I'm glad that you're friends of the show.
1: Hey, man, thank you. We really appreciate what you guys do, being out there and spreading the knowledge and trying to make it accessible for people. Um, when I moved to Humboldt 18 years ago and started meeting people up here, I've been you know, kind of in the industry for a decade before, but it was so close. I'm from Michigan originally, and right. when I was in Michigan, it was not okay. <laughs> right. Um. So, you know, you're closed off. You don't have this kind of coconut wireless, so to speak, of people talking to each other and being like, oh, hey, man, did you feed with this? What did you feed with? Oh, taste this, taste that. I did this on this bed and this on that bed. And, you know, kind of the grassroots micro research that really drove cannabis for the previous whatever hundreds
0: of years. Right.
1: to not where we are today where we're just starting to be able to talk about it openly and share the information. And, you know, you guys provide such an amazing service by bringing people out and allowing them to share their knowledge and providing a platform that it's easy for somebody to come in and be like, I want to learn about this. Let me check it out and I can watch a short video. And I just got, knowledge that it took other people decades to learn in (laughs) 25 minutes
0: i i appreciate the kind words i absolutely do and it's uh it is a bit of a i don't want to call it work but yeah it takes time and effort to put this on and i appreciate companies legitimate companies like yourself that i want to work with coming on and supporting us man (laughs) making sure the show happens appreciate the hell out of you mike and royal gold ditto man and uh, like
1: like we always say it takes teamwork to make the dream work and we wouldn't be where we are today in the cannabis industry without all of us sharing and working together so I love thanks to all the community out there who's doing it
0: sounds like a great way to end this segment brother i learned a crap load, man i gotta i gotta uh, rewind this and, and just make sure it all sticks
1: right on well anytime i look forward to spending more time with
0: you guys and getting together and sharing some fruits of everybody's labor. I appreciate you, brother. See you at the, ne- at the next, uh, I'll see you at the, definitely at Indo Expo, but I like seeing you at Emerald Cup, man. Yeah, and we'll see you at the Dude Grows Cup in Colorado. All right, I like that. That's coming up. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'll talk to you soon, brother. Sure, see ya. All right.
2: Some people love to blaze up the dick. Yeah, we get happy for noon. Where the boss says is to take a little break That means we're we'll lighting up a tube It's just weed, it's just weed I like to keep the good boss on, on, on It's just weed, it's just weed In my toolbox there's a bone Some people start their day off with a pill It's what the doctor says to do they shake their heads at natural medicine. Go ahead and try something new, new, new. It's just weed. It's just weed. I like to keep a good vibes on, on, on. It's just weed. It's just weed. I like to smoke it out be now. Why he hates the tank, Just look at how he's being paid. Well, no luck up me, smoking weed. I ain't done nothing wrong, round no.